Take your Bibles uh, and turn to the book of Hebrews. We'll be finishing out our this uh, book today as we look at verses uh, 20 through 25 this morning. Let's give attention to God's Word. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send your greetings. Grace be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we can turn anywhere uh, in your word and, and you speak to us. And, and we thank you that your word is is so relevant to our lives and and we especially want to thank you for this this as uh, the writer describes it this short exhortation this this sermon uh, Lord I pray that we would take this to heart and that God even though we're coming to the end of this book that its message would continue to live in, in our hearts and our lives where we constantly are asking ourselves is Jesus supreme is, is he ultimate? Is he, is, the, is he the greatest? And God, it's so easy for us uh, to have our hearts turn towards idols and things that uh, dishonor you. But, but I pray, Lord, that you would work through your word this morning to encourage us as your people to look to you, O God, for strength as we uh, seek to walk uh, in your ways. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, we are coming to the end of, uh, we have come to the end of Hebrews, and you can see in verses 22 through 25 that there are a number of personal exhortations and, and things that, that we've talked about some, but also the relationship with the author with Timothy and, and the greetings with the leaders. But this morning, I really want us to focus upon verses 20 and, and 21 uh, in what is the benediction of, of this letter. Unfortunately, uh, to modern readers, a benediction sounds something like uh, wishing somebody well. You know, it's almost like you come to the end of a letter and you say, best wishes, and then you sign your name. But that's not at all what a benediction is. A benediction actually comes from the Latin, meaning good word. Uh, and really what it is, is it, it is a blessing. It is a proclamation, a, a promise, a blessing, a gift to us from God and, and you can take that promise and that proclamation and you can rest in those truths and so that's why every Sunday every Sunday brothers and sisters we end the con the, the worship service uh, before we respond in, in with the doxology of God giving his blessing to us as his people because as we are to leave this place and go out and live in the world uh, in, in obedience as, as a witness you know, in the midst of a culture that is hostile, that we need to do so with that word from the Lord, that word of blessing to us, and, and to live in those realities. 
Now, we got to remember that obviously the off, uh, excuse me, the audience of this book is a people who are worn out. Uh, maybe like many of us who are here this morning or watching via the live stream, we may be spiritually worn out or physically exhausted from from life, and we need to remember that that, that partially. Uh, that is because we are on a pilgrim's journey in this life. And I was thinking this week as I was contemplating that, and I thought, you know, if, if you decide to run a race, whether it's a 5K, 10K, marathon, whatever level you're at, if you get ready to run that race, you know that there's probably going to be points in time where it's going to be hard, and you're going to have to push through. And you know that there's certain things that's going to happen, certain parts of your body that are going to going to ache if not during the race probably after the race they're going to ache and stuff but you just know that that's part of that and if christians if we really realize that our life here upon this earth is a pilgrimage it would give us a different perspective and and that's why the writer of hebrews even earlier in this sermon talks about how the christian life is a race that that we are to run and and so there are times when we get tired and we get weary i mean even jesus got tired and weary, and would pull away and spend time in prayer uh, with his father. Well, the writer acknowledges that this is part of the Christian life. And, and he doesn't just say to his writers, well, guys, you just need to suck it up and, and keep going. He never says that. You know, he never says it's, it's no big deal. Just, you know, quit whining. You know, life's hard. Just, just move on. What, what he really says is he says, look up. Put your eyes, fix your eyes upon Jesus. The God who called you to his glory will make sure that you get there. That's what we read in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, isn't it? That God will complete that which he has begun in us. And, and it will be tough, but persevere, knowing that God will give you all the grace that you need. That Jesus and, 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 and what he has accomplished on our behalf is more than sufficient uh, to, to walk with the Lord upon this earth. And, and the writer lays out for his readers and for us today the realities that we can take to heart and live by faith as we look at this benediction. Um, now, as we look at these this morning, there may be times when you don't feel like these realities are true. You may struggle as you seek to walk by faith and, and trust God for these things, but they are true, and you can rest in them as you walk by faith. As a matter of fact, we are being reminded that there is power available to us in Christ to be all that God has called us to be and to do all that God has called us to do. Now, you may have heard it said that God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. I remember teaching a Sunday school class when I was in seminary, and uh, somebody said, well, you know, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, and I tried to persuade that person that that wasn't in the Scriptures. And finally I had to say, well, I'll tell you what, you just look it up and show me after class where that's found, and he never did come up to me. That's because Benjamin Franklin said that. It wasn't Jesus or any other biblical writer, because the Bible actually says the opposite. I think as Christians, we can fall into that trap of thinking that God helps those who help themselves. And we oftentimes seek to try to deal with the problems of our lives and our own strength. But, but really, God tells us that we are not able to help ourselves. 
But in Christ, there is strength. There is, there is help available to us. Not just in terms of our salvation, our initial salvation and coming to faith in Him. That's of God. But even as we are sanctified, God gives us strength as well. I like the illustration that H.B. Charles Jr. tells he, to sort of illustrate this reality. He says, imagine if you would that you had a refrigerator and it died. So you decided to go to the store and buy a new refrigerator. And because they were so expensive, you decided to get the best one that you could afford. Had all the bells and the whistles and stuff. And so you had it delivered. And the day you had it delivered, you stocked it full of food. You went to bed that night, you got up the next morning, and all the food is spoiled. All the ice cream's running out of the freezer onto the floor, and you're just sick. So you, you call the customer service and you try to figure out what's wrong, and of course you're, you're pretty hot, because not only have you spent all this money for a refrigerator, but then you spent the money to, to stock the food in the refrigerator, and it's all bad. So you're, you're trying to keep your calm about you, but you know, as, as you're talking to the customer service, they can't figure out what's wrong. And, and so you're trying to keep your cool. And so finally, the, the representative says, let's, let's try one more thing. Open the door again and tell me, does the light come on? And, and so you do, and it doesn't. And, and they ask you to, to put your ear up against the refrigerator and, and also feel the side. And they said, do you feel a vibration of a motor or do you hear a humming noise? And so you do, and you can't. And, and then they said, well, let me just ask you one more thing. Pull the refrigerator out, look behind, is it plugged into the wall? And you do, and it isn't. And, and what HB says is, he goes, unfortunately, this is the reality of how too many Christians live their lives. That they have potential power in Jesus Christ. They have potential in Christ, but they have no power in their life. And it doesn't have to be that way. Actually, God did not save us. He did not create us for us to live that way. Um, that's not God's intent. God made it such that in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have all the health and the strength and the power that we need. That, that we might be able to do all that He's called us to do and be all that He's called us to be. And, and that's the message I want you to hear this morning. Um, as we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Because it really, it, it, we see two things in this text. Uh, one um, is the blessings of the past. The blessings of the past. Number two is the blessings uh, in the future. Um, he looks back, first of all, to see the great things that God has done for his people through Jesus Christ. And then he secondly looks forward at great things that God will do for us through Christ. And so I want us to see these two things. Of course, verse 20 is the, black, the past blessings, and verse 21 is the future blessings. So let's, let's look at that. Verse, verse 20, we, um, he gives us three reasons why we can trust God for the help that we need. The first of which is, is that God is a God of peace. Beginning of verse 20. Now may the God of peace. You see, these believers were prepared to walk away from their faith because of severe persecution. So their lives were anything but peaceful. Circumstances were difficult and painful. But the writer wants these Christians to know that though that's the case, what they have in Christ is infinitely better than what they had in Judaism. And, 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 and he wants them to understand this idea of peace. I mean, peace is more than the absence 
of hostility or animosity or trouble or negative circumstances. That's not what peace is, you know, because you might look at that and say, well, if they had such a hard time that they're being severely persecuted, how can they have peace? Well, peace is not the absence of those things. The idea of peace in the Bible is a sense of wholeness. It is a sense of, of completeness, of blessing and fulfillment. In the Old Testament, when a person said, peace be with you, they were saying, may God help and strength and favor be yours. May God's help, strength and favor be yours. So no matter what a person's circumstances were, if God gives you the strength and the help and his favor is on you, there you can have peace that you are in his loving hands. And so even though the life is raging around you and circumstances are greatly difficult, if God shows his favor upon you, there is peace. And, and, and you can find rest. Now, where, where does this peace come from? Well, true peace comes only from God because he is the God of peace. Uh, let's look, if we could, at another benediction. Turn back to the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 6. This is a very common benediction, number 6, 23 through 27. Um, typically, we don't read all of this, but the benediction is found within this passage. Let me uh, tell you that this is God speaking to Moses, who's telling Moses to tell Aaron something. So this is what we read. Uh, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, because they were of the priestly, they were the priests, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Now, that really is the core fundamental blessing of the gospel, if you think about it, that, that God's face would shine upon us, that God would be gracious to us, that God would give us peace. Because we have, I think, because we've heard this so much, though, we're not shocked by this news, that God would look at us in this way. I think sometimes we can even, maybe not consciously, but we can think, well, of course God should smile upon me. God should give me his peace. And, and we've forgotten that once, because our identity was with Adam, we were born in sin. And we were guilty before God. Not only because we were an Adam, but also because of our own sin as well. And, and that sin, both in Adam and, and our actual sin, separates us from God. And so when, when people sin, they oftentimes have a sense of of guilt that goes along with that. There are those who have hardened their hearts maybe to the degree they don't feel that guilt, but um, for most they do. And, and oftentimes when sin or when death comes knocking on a person's door, they know that there's something that's coming, something that they will be accountable to. Because God is not a tame God, but He is a God who is holy and righteous and just and true. But it is this God who comes and he speaks peace to his people. And he comes and he pays the penalty for the sins of his people. And in so doing, God brings peace into their lives. Um, Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is a wonderful verse. One that 
would be good to commit to memory. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You see, the person who runs to the cross aware of his own sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation is the beneficiary of peace with God. We see that in Romans 5, verse 1. But the Christian not only has peace with God, but also has the peace of God as well. Look, if you would, to the New Testament, to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, verse 6. Paul writes to the church there, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, it's, it's sort of, Philippians sort of mirrors what Isaiah said in Isaiah 26. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. It's the same thing Isaiah says. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace, what? Whose mind is stayed upon you. So as we come to the Lord, as we pour out our, our, our circumstances before him, as we are trusting in Him, as Isaiah says, then there is peace. John Blanchard gives this explanation about this passage in Isaiah. He says, The peace of God is being grateful for past mercies, conscious of present mercies, and certain of future mercies. Uh, it's grateful for past mercies, conscious of present mercies, and certain of future mercies. Because God is the God of peace. And so because of that, we know and we can trust Him. But also because God raised Jesus from the dead. You can trust God to do for you what you can't do for yourself because God raised Jesus from the dead. The letter of Hebrews is about the superiority of Jesus and His exaltation uh, up to heaven. His present intercessory ministry on our behalf. I hope that if you haven't gotten anything else from the book of Hebrews, that you understand that Christ's work is not only, is not limited to, I should say, his work on the cross. That is of great significance and importance, but Christ's ministry and his work for his church is so much greater than that, in a sense. That was his ministry in the past, but his, he has a ministry even today as he is interceding and praying on our behalf. And throughout this letter, the author assumes the resurrection of Christ, and, and how he is now in heaven at the right hand of the Father. But this is the only place where he outright states this reality in ver verse 20. Uh, the author is stating the fact that, that the Lord is able to help you in your Christian walk, no matter how powerless you feel. He is able to help you live obediently, to resist temptation, to suffer joyfully, because he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Turn, if you would, with me uh, over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. And, and the reason Christ does that is because His power at work in our life is just as great. 
And that's what Romans 8 says. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which he does, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit is at work in those who daily put their trust in him. Brothers and sisters, whatever we face, if, if it doesn't require more of God than what it took to raise Jesus from the dead, then we have a guarantee that God's able to do it. And there is nothing that's greater than that. Because he raised Jesus from the dead, for, for us as Christians, we don't merely believe the resurrection. I mean, I, I think there are Christians who do do that. That if you ask them about the resurrection, they say, yeah, I believe in the fact of the resurrection. But what the Bible teaches is we are not only to believe the fact of the resurrection, but we are to live in the power of the resurrection as well. And that's what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 3, or that's what he was referring to in Philippians 3.10, when he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It wasn't just that Jesus had died, raised from the dead, but he understood that the power of God raised Christ from the dead, and it is that same power that is work in us. And it is the resurrected Jesus that the writer refers to as he goes on in this text, and he refers to the great shepherd of the sheep. And of course, this uh, takes us back to John chapter 10, verse 11, where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And, and so if you take John 10 and, and Hebrews 13, you see that Jesus is that great shepherd who not only laid down his life for his sheep, but his life was raised again from the dead, and he now ministers. And so we can trust that God will give us all that we need in our walk with him. The third thing we see here in this text is uh, we can trust God because of the blood of the eternal covenant. Um, through the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, God announces his intention to establish an everlasting covenant with his people. The covenant is an everlasting because it is sealed in blood, and to be precise, in the blood of the Messiah, or the blood of Christ, or Jesus. And God promises his people deliverance because as we read in Zechariah 9:11, because of the blood of my covenant. It is Christ's blood that was poured out particularly for his people uh, that secured for them an everlasting relationship with God. Uh, if you looked at us, if you looked at that relationship between us and God, you could very easily think our relationship with God is very shaky, right? Because we're not very faithful. But, but when you understand that that relationship is initiated by God and helps, held secure by God, then it gives you great understanding that as fickle as we are, there is a security, there's everlastingness to that covenant because of God's character and, and who he is. And, and so Christ, in his blood that was poured out, uh, particularly for his people, secured for them an everlasting relationship with God. Because the cup of God's judgment, you know, or, or let me say it this way, Jesus didn't merely sip from the cup of God's judgment. Instead, he drained that cup. He satisfied the wrath of God completely so that we could be his children. So through Christ's shed blood, the Lord proclaims that he will remember our sins no more. Now, 
How do we know that God was pleased with Christ's sacrifice on the cross? Well, because of his resurrection. As the text says here, he raised up the Lord Jesus by the blood of the eternal covenant. And, and that eternal covenant um, reminds us of John 10, verses 8 through 30. And, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you skip down to the, towards the end of that passage to verse 27, you, you get a sense of, of the security there is in God's uh, in that eternal covenant uh, where we read, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Is that not amazing news in, in our lives of, of fickleness, in our lives of unfaithfulness, in the, in, in the lives in which we struggle uh, with temptation and with sin, to know that there is that security. And, and so this benediction assures us of, of God's past blessing. Um, that have present-day realities as we trust in Him, that God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Yeah, I, once again, if I can refer to H.B. London, actually a lot of the things I'm sharing with you today I, are, have come from him, but uh, he, he puts it this way. He says, God's faithfulness in the past is His resume for the future. God's faithfulness in the past is His, ref is his resume for the future. God has done great things for us in Christ, so God will do great things for us in Christ. And that's what we see as we look to verse 21, uh, these, these future, these present blessings. This is, uh, uh, in other words, uh, may the God who has done all these things in the past, may that God equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and as we read this, we realize that, that the author is praying for these people. He's praying for this uh, future blessing upon them. And he's really praying two things. One, that they would be equipped. And two, that they would be enabled. Um, now, the word equipped, the prayer of equipment, is really a multifaceted word. Uh, it is the idea of a soldier being equipped with weapons for battle. Or it could be the picture of a fisherman mending his net. That's the same word. Or it's the picture of a doctor resetting a bone back to, to the way it was. And so that idea of equip means to mend. It means to restore. It means to create. It means to strengthen. And, and the writer is praying that the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead would equip us, brothers and sisters, would strengthen you where you are weak, would restore the broken places of your lives, and, 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 and that God would make you capable and ready and equipped. But for what? Well, he says here, for everything good. For everything good. James reminds us, on James chapter 1, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So, so God is the source of all good, but the things that God gives to His people are comprehensively good. 
And we need to understand that, that he gives us everything, all that is, is good. God equips us with everything. Love, he gives us joy, he gives us peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and anything else we need to resist temptation or, or to live obediently to him. Or, or to serve faithfully, or to witness boldly, or to suffer joyfully. All those things God gives us because He gives us that which is good. To do His will. Not to do our own will. Not to accomplish our to-do list or our, our, our five-year goals or plans. But to do God's will. The point being is, is that we cannot accomplish God's will in our lives in our own strength. Also, only when we look to God in His strength, that is, looking to Him equipping us, will we do His will. Never will God's will lead us where His grace will not sustain us. God will equip us with everything good that we might do His will. It sort of reminds you of that old Proverbs, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I don't know about you, but I had to memorize that in Sunday school. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. It's that sense of trusting in Him. And so there's that prayer that, that God would equip us with everything that we need. But there's also a prayer for enablement in, in the second part. Working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. Now, how does God equip us with everything good that you might do His will? He does so by working in us. And so God doesn't merely like give us everything good that we need. And He says, okay, there you go. It's almost like Christmas. You know, we pass out the presents and say, there you go, you got it. Go enjoy it. God doesn't do that and say, now go do good. Um, instead, He gives Himself to us. He gives Himself. He, he abides in us by His Holy Spirit. He works in us in such a way that we might do what is pleasing in His sight. Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So there's that sense in which we're called to obedience to the Lord. He said, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. H.B. Um, London Jr. suggested that this ought to be homework. He said, um, first of all, you ought to commit this verse to memory if you don't already have it memorized. But he said, then it ought to, you ought to daily ask yourselves a series of questions about this verse. He said, you ought to ask yourself, who can I count on to be with me today? The answer being God. Uh, where will he be today? He'll be working. Where will he be working? This text says he'll be working in you. How will he be working? Both to will and to work. In other words, to, to shape our desires and our abilities, our attitudes, our conduct. And why does God work in us? For his good pleasure. God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure but this comes through Jesus Christ, as he says in the end of verse 21, to whom be glory forever 
and ever. And so the, the benediction actually ends with the doxology of praise. The God who equips and enables us through Jesus Christ is not only worthy of glory and praise, but those in whom He works cannot be silent, but must praise Him. I mean, can you imagine, brothers and sisters, I wonder how much we work in the power of the Holy Spirit, how much we turn to God to work. You know, it's, it's they, this may be, sound like a crazy comparison, but you know, uh, some experts say, you know, if every Christian tithe their, their income, the church would be scrambling to look for places to, to put all that money. They wouldn't know what to do with it. You know, but churches function with what they have. And, and I sometimes wonder if that's what it's like with the work of God in our lives. That as, you know, are we working so much in our own strength that if, if we look to the Lord to do the work, you know, maybe you're struggling with some temptation and you're like, Lord, I can't overcome that. But, but you're trying to deal with that in your own strength. If you look to Him, it's not like the struggle would just go away. But there would be unlimited uh, power that would be available to you to address that temptation. If you were terrified to share your faith with other people, if we look to the Lord and said, God, use me to share my faith with others, it would be interesting to see. Would we just be blown away by the work of God's Spirit in our presence as His church if we look to Him? Well... Uh, Psalm 107, verse 2, says, uh, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And in other words, those who have been redeemed from trouble, let them say that the Lord has redeemed them. In other words, when God works in our lives in the ways that we're talking about in this passage, in this benediction, if we were to see that lived out not only in our lives, but the lives of our church, I wonder how much that would transform our worship to cause us to praise Him and to exalt and to glorify Him. Brothers and sisters, we, we come at the end of the year of 2020. I'm sure everybody's like, yay! You know, and we're getting ready to face 2021. Uh, but, you know, th it, that's not what's going to bring a change to our life, is going from one year to the next. But realizing what is available to you in Christ and walking in that reality by faith. Uh, let me encourage us this morning that we do get sort of a new beginning with a new year, but rather than just looking for that change to come in the new year, to look to Christ and to trust in Him and to reflect upon these things that He has given to us. And as we leave this place today, to leave so uh, with the knowledge and the faith that these things are true, and that we walk in them this week. Amen. Let's take a few moments and, and bow our heads and meditate upon God's Word this morning.
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness to your people to, to give us your word, to give us your Holy Spirit. Uh, and I, I just pray that we would take to heart not only the entire message of Hebrews, but especially these closing verses this week. And Lord, that maybe we commit these things to memory and, and to meditate and, and to dwell upon them. But Father, I pray for our church this next year. I do pray, Lord, that you would cause us to grow more and more to understand the realities uh, that we have in Jesus Christ. And we would trust in these things. Lord, I pray that you would make us weaker, that you might make us stronger. Uh, Lord, that we would turn our eyes and fix them wholly upon you. Forgive us, Lord, when we just sort of do church as normal or we sort of have... Um, unrealistic expectations that God that you could be in the middle of something and there be no change that there be no one that comes to faith in you where there's no growth Lord those things will happen if you are present and so I pray that we would be people that are expecting um, expecting uh, to see the fruit of your work in our midst uh, Father we just thank you so much for this and uh, pray these things uh, that your name may be glorified and exalted, that we may grow in our worship. We thank you and pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.